please take uh, your Bible and, and uh, open up once again to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. First Corinthians 13, verses uh, 4 through 7. We're looking at the love chapter, um, <clears throat> seeing how it is really a, a, a portrait of the love of Christ and the love that we are called to have for one another in the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, this, this is what we are after in our study of 1 Corinthians 13, more of the love of Jesus in our lives. When we got started a couple weeks ago and looked at verses 1 through 3, we saw that we are, we are nothing without love. Uh, love matters because without it, nothing else will. Loveless teaching, loveless preaching, loveless service is all useless in the end. If I seek to use my gifts or do good works without love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Then in verses 4 through 7, where we're camping out for a while together, we, we've seen that this is a, a, a poetic portrait of love, where Paul personifies love, telling us what love does. And he describes love as if it were a person, and that makes perfect sense to us as Christians, because we know that love is personal. God is love. Love is from God. God the Father is love. God the Son is love. God the Spirit is love. And Jesus Christ, our mediator, is the embodiment of the love of God. We can take every description of love in 1 Corinthians 13 and see it lived out in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we looked at kindness last week. Kindness loves readiness and willingness to do good to others. And today we're going to take a look at one of Paul's negative descriptions, what love is not. Love is not, verse 5, irritable. Uh, so let's give our attention to uh, the reading of God's word here in, in this portion. 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In the beginning of verse 8, love never ends. Well, a, a hypothetical question here. Does anyone irritate you? Anybody ever annoy you? Don't answer. Don't raise your hand. Of course, the answer is yes. Uh, there will always be people in our lives who in one way or another get under our skin. There's a, a great poem by Robert Browning that helps us reflect upon irritability. It's a, it's a first-person po poem told by uh, a monk living in a monastery. And throughout the poem, he's watching a fellow monk by the name of Brother Lawrence and it begins with watching him work in a garden. And everything Brother Lawrence does in the garden just drives this monk crazy. The way he uh, trims the bushes, the way he takes care of the roses, and so on. It just drives this monk mad. And this same irritated monk, he goes on to describe what it's like to sit next to Brother Lawrence during mealtime, watch him gulp down his juice, 
uh, listen to his annoying comments and his silly questions like, what's, what's the Latin again for parsley? And uh, this irritated monk thinks in his mind, what's the Latin again for pig snout? After dinner, uh, even the way Brother Lawrence cleans up after himself irritates this irritable monk. In a lot of ways, it's a, it's a funny poem, but it's true to life. Browning shows how irritated we can get with someone to the point where the, even the smallest things they say or do or don't do get under our skin and annoy us. And usually the reasons are small, the way a person talks or eats or does something. But at the same time, Browning is showing us uh, where these aggravations can often lead. By the end of the poem, this irritated monk is thinking of ways that he can get Brother Lawrence to commit some grievous sin so that he would be excommunicated from the monastery, or how he could get him to make some deal with the devil to destroy his own soul. And by writing about monks living in a religious community, I also think Browning helps us see something else that we can and likely will at times get irritated with our brothers and sisters in Christ in the church of Jesus Christ. Again, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is writing to the Corinthian Christians about love. And he mentions irritability here because some of them were no doubt getting irritated with each other. Uh, Browning's poem, it, it ends with uh, chapel bells ringing, calling the monks together for uh, evening prayers. And even as this irritated monk is uh, reciting the creed upon his lips, he is harboring anger and hatred for Brother Lawrence in his heart. See, if we're honest, though, most of us don't take irritability very seriously. Some of us think it's just part of our personality. We, we, we tend to view it as a natural response to life's little frustrations. And so we don't worry about it too much if somebody annoys us. But I think at the start here, what we need to recognize is 1 Corinthians 13 treats irritability with utter seriousness. Because it is the opposite of love. We see that here, that being irritable is a failure to love. We know that because verse 5 says, love is not irritable. In other words, irritability is the antithesis of love. We could take it a step further and say, it is not merely being unloving, it is actually a way of hating another person. And so Paul is defining love here by its opposite. Sometimes he says love is this, and other times he's saying love is not that. And here he's saying love is not irritable. Now the word that he uses has, has a range of meaning. And so you'll find translations like love is not easily provoked. I think the NIV renders it, it, it's, uh, it is not easily angered. Charles Hodge defined it as uh, quick-tempered. Someone else said, uh, one, one way we could put it is, love is not cantankerous. I like that one. In other words, love is not grumpy or grouchy. Love is not easily provoked. It is not contentious. 
It's not prickly or surly. Love does not get ticked off. It does not go off on a verbal rampage or give people the silent treatment. Now, it's no surprise that irritability was an issue in the church of Corinth. I mean, we've seen all of the disputes and divisions that these uh, dear Christians faced. They were disagreeing over leaders, over theological matters, over sexual immorality, over a case of conscience. They were divided over the Lord's Supper, and now they're dividing over spiritual gifts. So, no doubt, they were, some of them were annoyed with each other. After all, isn't it the case that when we're dealing with strong disagreements with one another, very often we get irritable. So I think we can relate to the Corinthians here. We live in a fallen world full of fallen people who bother us, annoy us, and make us angry. And sometimes we're the ones doing the annoying. This is an area, though, I think that we can all agree that we could grow. We could mature. We could become more loving. Some of us may be treating irritability like a pardonable sin. Remember that book a few years back by Jerry Bridges um, called Pardonable Sins, where he looked at sins in the Christian community that, as Christians, we tend to overlook or minimize. I think irritability is one of those sins. We don't think it's a big deal. It's just part of who we are. Irritability is someone's readiness to get angry. It's, uh, if you like, anger's finger trigger. And frankly, some of us have a hair trigger. The, the, the smallest amount of pressure sets us off. And so we need to learn to see irritability for, for what it really is in the light of God's word, a failure to love. And we need to learn how to deal with the rising of anger in the heart if we're ever going to learn to love the way we are loved and to learn to love the way that Jesus Christ calls us to love one another. Now, let me just quickly remind you of our approach here. As we're looking at love's portrait, what love is, what love is not, we are connecting everything with Christ, to Christ who embodies love in 1 Corinthians 13 terms. So let's illustrate today love's, to put it this way, love's non-irritability from a well-known day in Jesus' ministry. Uh, on this day, Jesus was, was healing and teaching, performing miracles, alongside the Sea of Galilee. And on this day, the Gospels tell us about a time when the disciples got irritated and Jesus was not. And I think seeing the difference will help us learn how to love with Jesus' peaceable love. If you want to take a look at one of the accounts, you could look at Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. I have in mind here the, day, the, the feeding of the 5,000. And remember the context here, the 12 disciples are just returning from what we might call a short-term missions trip. Jesus has sent them out two by two to, uh, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to preach the gospel. And by the power of God, the disciples had seen some wonderful things. They had seen people turn and, and to believe in the gospel. They had seen people healed and people set free from uh, demonic oppression. 
And so you can imagine the excitement and the enthusiasm they have as they come back to Jesus, their master, to recount to him all the things that they had done and taught. But no doubt, <laughs> the trip had been exhausting. Uh, they were all tired and worn out, and after listening to their report, Jesus knew what they needed. He knew they needed a bit of physical rest. So he said, come away, let, let, let's get away for a while, let's go to a desolate place, and, uh, and you can rest for a little while. He knew that's exactly what they needed. Uh, Mark actually tells us uh, why they needed to get away. He says, for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Okay, so the demands of ministry were such upon Jesus and the disciples that they couldn't even take a lunch break. And so the disciples here, they're, they're running on fumes. They've just returned from an exhausting ministry trip. And people just keep on coming, asking for help. And Jesus understands, okay, they got, these guys need a break. They need some rest. And so they set off uh, in a boat to a desolate place to be by themselves for a time. And the disciples are thinking, at last, a little bit of, a little bit of R&R, &R, right? Or so they thought, because Mark tells us that people along the shore saw them and recognized them, the size of the Sea of Galilee being what it is, that they were able to run ahead and meet them where they would arrive. And so we, we, we think about this, we can imagine the looks on the disciples' faces when they neared the shore and saw a large crowd of people standing there waiting. When, when are we going to get a chance to rest for a little bit and be alone with Jesus? And yet, when Jesus saw the crowd, what was his response? He saw the crowd and he felt compassion, Mark says, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus got off the boat, went to them, and began to teach them many things. And apparently Jesus' teaching session went on for quite some time. It went on all day, in fact. And the longer he went, the hungrier and wearier the disciples became. Until finally, when it was getting late in the day, they said to Jesus, look, this is, a, this is a desolate place. There's nothing out here. And the hour is getting late. Send the people away so that they can go off and find some food. Now, from one point of view, that suggestion seems completely reasonable. No doubt the disciples or the crowd was getting hungry like the disciples had been. Um, and it was getting late in the day. But no matter how reasonable the suggestion may sound, we need to understand that here that the disciples were getting irritated. Their impatience had been building for hours until it finally came to the surface when they spoke to Jesus. It looks like they actually interrupted his teaching and gave their master a command, send them away. So they are, here they are, they're telling Jesus what to do. The imperative mood in the Greek at least suggests that what these disciples were thinking is, look, we're starving, it's getting late, enough is enough, Lord, send them away. But Jesus had a very different idea uh, of how to respond. And <laughs> thinking about what he said and what he did, I think, shows us his heart of love. First, Jesus put the demand back on the disciples, didn't he? He 
<laughs> you give them something to eat. Which, of course, sounded to the disciples completely preposterous. Uh, their incredulous response is another indication, I think, of, of their irritation. Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? I mean, they're implying, do you realize how ridiculous that sounds, Jesus, asking us to do that? Now, in the end, we, we know how the story goes. Jesus provided dinner for everybody, taking um, five loaves of bread and two fish and miraculously multiplying it so that everybody had something to eat until they were full. And so Jesus provided for his people in a desolate place. He provided for them something to eat, we might say, in the wilderness. Now that should certainly bring to mind some, some scene in the Old Testament that I hope we're familiar with. Rather than getting irritated with needy and complaining people, even his pushy disciples, Jesus provided for his people in the wilderness. But what can we learn from this story? That's just a quick summary. Before we think about the non-irritable love of Jesus, let's think first about the disciples' irritability. Because I think their negative example can actually teach us a whole lot about our own irritations. So a few things here. First, the disciples help us understand who gets irritated. And the short answer is everybody. It's everybody except Jesus in this story. Uh, think about it. People here who are busy serving the Lord get irritated. And I think that leads us to say at the very least, if the 12 could get irritated after a thrilling missions trip and while spending time with Jesus, listening to his teaching, then it is safe to say, I think, that we're liable to get irritated too. No matter who we are, irritability can be a real spiritual problem for us that keeps us from loving other people the way that we should. And whenever we get annoyed, we should see the problem for what it really is in the light of 1 Corinthians 13, a failure to love. That's the first thing. Second, I think the disciples also teach us when we're likely, or at least most likely, to get irritated. They were tempted to this sin at the end of an exhausting stretch of ministry and at the end of a very full day. They were worn out and hungry. And friends, this can happen to all of us. We're finite creatures in need of, of rest. We need to say that. But at the same time, I think we also need to say, if we find ourselves constantly tired and on edge, easily annoyed, then we may need to take a small but very practical step of ensuring that we're getting the rest that we need. We can't excuse our irritability when we're tired all of the time just because we do not manage our time well. Third, the disciples show us how irritability treats other people. Basically, it wants nothing to do with them, right? Uh, irritability says, I don't like what you're saying or doing. Get away from me. Leave me alone. <laughs> the disciples wanted Jesus to send the people away. And this was not the only time that the disciples wanted to keep people away from themselves and from Jesus. You remember the other story when believing parents are bringing their little ones to Jesus in order for him to bless them. And 
They, they want nothing to do with it. They want them to, to leave Jesus alone and to leave them alone. You see, when we're irritable, we, we don't want to be bothered with other people, their needs, or what they have to say. A fourth thing I think we can learn from the negative example of the disciples is the disciples expected other people to solve their own problems instead of actively looking for ways to help. Rather than asking Jesus to help them or offering to do whatever they could do in service to this crowd, the disciples simply wanted to push people in need away. They cared less about the genuine welfare of people in need, and more about the effect other people's problems were having on them. See, the suggestion to send the crowd away, it may very well have been presented as a way of getting the people something to eat, but it was also a convenient way of getting the disciples exactly what they wanted, some peace and quiet. You see, this is how the irritable person often treats other people, by putting what they want ahead of what others need, and if possible, avoiding the needs of others altogether. But you see, the real problem is, is not them, it's us. We've got to be honest about this, because we tend to blame the people around us for the way that we respond. When pressed on it, we, we often excuse ourselves with things like, oh, I'm just frustrated, or I've had a long day, and we, we get it, sometimes we have rough days, but what we're really saying is that the other person or this other situation is directly responsible for our sinful attitude. Now, again, that's, that's not to say that other people are never annoying. Sometimes they are. But you see, the issue for me and for you is not how irritating they are, but how irritable we are. And so if we are irritable, easily provoked, short-tempered, if our default response to things we don't like is to just get mad all of the time, and our anger is out of proportion to the situation, and dear friends, this is, this is clear evidence of a loveless heart. That's hard to admit, but admit it we must. And so if we get angry about trivial things, you know, kids accidentally spilling another glass of milk, the way somebody else drives on the road, someone else asking you to do something, something someone else did or failed to do that makes your life just a little bit more inconvenient, and on and on we could go. You see, the real problem is not those things. The real problem is our failure to love in that situation. Rather than putting the blame on someone else, we need to confess our need our desperate need for more of the love of Jesus. Now, there's one more thing to learn, I think, from the disciples' negative example here. And that's how irritability often responds to God. See, our irritability is, is not just a failure to love other people. It's also a failure to love God the way that we should. The disciples tried to tell Jesus his business and then responded to him with incredulity. Rather than learning what he was trying to teach them, that he always has the resources to provide for his people and for our needs, they make a smart aleck remark instead. 
You see, irritability leads us in that direction. Instead of asking for God's help, it just chooses to get angry instead. See, if there's a problem, the person who gives way to irritation does not look to God for what's needed. Instead, we exaggerate the situation and we just get mad. And so irritability... Yes, it has a lot to do with how we relate to others, but it also has a whole lot to do with how we relate to God. And this is one of the main reasons it is such a serious spiritual problem. Irritability does not just hurt other people. It also hinders our relationship with God. And so once again, I think I said this a few weeks ago, We see why 1 Corinthians 13 is so profoundly challenging. We tend to approach this because it's often read at weddings as a a nice poem that gives us warm, nice thoughts about love, when in fact, 1 Corinthians 13 is a stinging rebuke to loveless Christians. It makes clear, doesn't it, just how unloving we can really be. And what we desperately need, every single one of us, is more and more of the love of Jesus in our lives. Thankfully, thankfully, this same story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 while showing us the negative example of the disciples also shows us the love of a Savior who has the power to change an irritable heart into a heart of love. And notice, big picture here, that really everything Jesus does in this story is the opposite of what his disciples did. Jesus is everything we are not. He is the demonstration, the embodiment of the non-irritability of love. I think it's right to say that Jesus was probably just as tired and hungry, if not more so than his fellow disciples. The Gospels tell us multiple times of Jesus being utterly physically exhausted from the demands of ministry. Jesus, too, at times, had to get away and rest. On this occasion, he'd been preaching and healing all day long. Now, I can't testify to the healing part, but I can tell you how I feel after preaching. It it takes it out of me. I feel zapped of my strength. But instead of getting irritated that the crowds had followed him asking for more, when Jesus sees this enormous crowd His holy inclination is not irritability, but compassion. He demonstrates a love that is not irritable, even when outwardly the temptation to be irritated was there. And so notice what he does. With love, again in contrast to the disciples who want to send the people away, with love, Jesus is drawn to people in need. Rather than sending them away as the disciples wanted to do, Jesus wanted to be with them. He did this first when he saw the crowd waiting on the shore. He he got off the boat. He went to them. He had compassion on them. He expressed that compassion by teaching them many things. Jesus regarded their need as more important than his rest and refreshment. You see, this is what love does. It lets the needs of others set our agenda rather than letting our own agenda 
set the terms of how much we are willing to serve. Whatever limits we decide to place on our service, and yes, we need to have limits, but whatever limits we place on our service should not be determined by our own selfish desires, but by the will of God, by the legitimate vocations he calls us to fulfill. And so we, we see this. This is what love does. It moves toward people, not away from them, even when the demands are great. Second, with love, Jesus trusted God to provide what was needed. I think the way that Jesus does this, he does it in such a way in order to be an example to his people. Now, Jesus, you notice what he does when he multiplied the loaves and, and fish. Faced with the overwhelming need of this crowd, he looked up to his Father in heaven and trusted in God to provide what was needed. See, when Jesus told the disciples to feed the people, what was their response? They only thought in terms of their own resources, what they could do in their own strength. And I think the lesson for us here about where love finds the strength to serve is this. It's found by trusting in the power and the grace of God. See, when people come to us with their needs, asking questions we don't know the answer to, asking for things we feel like we cannot provide, something that's way beyond us, it is easy, I think, to get irritated, to get annoyed for various reasons. But love, you see, takes what it has on hand. It looks up to heaven and asks God to use what he has given to us beyond any way that we could possibly use those things in and of ourselves. Jesus loved by trusting in his Father in heaven and by relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, the same way he calls us to love. Third, um, Jesus loved his irritable disciples, too. I love this part of the story. Here I think we're seeing the love that Jesus has for irritable Christians like ourselves. See, one of the remarkable things about this story is the way that Jesus treats his own disciples. When they were irritated with him, I'll just stop there. How do we typically respond when somebody's irritated with us? We ramp it up, don't we? We respond with greater irritation and greater anger. Here's Jesus dealing with some irritated disciples, and instead of responding with irritation, he treats them with the same compassion that he had for the crowd. The crowd of people were not the only ones who were fed and nourished that day, who ate bread and fish. When Mark says they all ate and were satisfied, that very likely includes the 12. And isn't the, have you ever noticed the amount of leftovers? Isn't it interesting? Is there any significance to that? After feeding the 5,000, what did they have left? 12 baskets full of bread and fish. One leftover for every disciple. What an object lesson. Even those irritable disciples were well fed by Jesus because they too were loved by him. And you see, friends, Jesus has the same love for us. Even after all the times we've been irritated with God for what he has or hasn't done in our lives, he's never, he, he's never gotten irritable with us. He's never gotten too tired to care for us, even in our foolishness. He keeps on 
loving us. And even after all the times we've been irritated with others when we're called to love them, God does not deal with us as our sins deserve. Because all of our irritating sins have been carried by the Lord Jesus to the cross and paid for in full. And now, you see, now in union with our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of his death and resurrection, he calls us to do as he does. To show this kind of non-irritable love to one another. Now look, again, some people are, are bound to get under our skin uh, each and every day. And we need to ask ourselves, when that happens, what will you do? How will you respond? By feeding your irritability and making excuses for your anger? Or will you learn to respond with love? For some of us, this is a besetting sin. And we need to ask Jesus to put more of his love into our lives. So that we can give to others what we receive. See, when we have the love of Jesus, we, we will begin to see every irritation as an opportunity to give the love that we have received so freely in Christ. C.S. Lewis talks about uh, the daily frictions and frustrations that we face in, in everyday uh, relationships. And, and he says that they prove to us that we don't have what it takes to love the way that we should. And I think he's right on. We need something more than our own resources. But we tend, you see, we tend to think that what really needs changing is whatever is bothering us. The person who's bothering us. If I only had a boss and co-workers who knew what they were doing. If my spouse would just get their act together. If my kids would just listen to me and obey you know how it goes. Change now, we need to say, change may very well be needed on, on the other end. But again, we need to start by recognizing that what needs to change is our own hearts. Instead of being irritable, we, we need the love of God in our lives. And friends, that love is on free offer in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. A love that we must first receive and then be enabled to show that kind of love to one another. Let me just give a, a, an illustration and then we'll be done here. Uh, I think this is a really great illustration of the, the non-irritability of love. I came across this story while I was getting ready for this, this uh, sermon. And it's a story about a, a dad who took his young daughter to a baseball game. Uh, I believe it was the, the Phillies and Nationals playing in 2009 um, for the pennant race. And father and daughter, they're seated in the upper deck, and during the game, uh, a, a foul ball comes tailing back over the upper deck. And the father, he, he reaches out, and every fan's dream, right? He catches the ball, and folks are cheering for him, and he wants his daughter to share in the excitement. So immediately he turns, and he gives the baseball to his daughter, and she promptly turns and hurls the ball back off the upper deck. And, um, you know, everybody watching gasps. Uh, and you wonder, how's he going to respond? Well, you know what he did is he picked up his daughter and wrapped her up in his arms. 
and gave her a hug. And friends, isn't, isn't that such a wonderful picture of how God deals with us? You know, very often he's, he's placing gifts in our hands and without even knowing it, we're just throwing them away and getting rid of them. But what does he do? He continues to love us. And as we experience God's non-irritable love in Jesus, we need to realize that we receive grace to love others with this kind of love. Such is the saving grace of God. He even gives us grace to go back to people who have thrown away our love to love them all over again. And so may God the Father, by the Spirit, fill us with more of the love of Christ so that we learn to love the people God calls us to love by giving to others what we have received in Christ. For love is from God. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we, we confess to you our irritability. And uh, we pray that you would work in our hearts to make us more like yourself. Enable us to love as we are loved and to show this kind of agape love to, to one another. May this kind of love mark our homes and all of our relationships so that more of the love of Jesus would be seen in our lives. We ask these things for his sake and his glory. Amen.